Hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. I'm Amy Callisher. I'm here with my husband, Jim McPherson. Hello, and everybody, you guys just missed a really good intro. Oh, because I forgot to press record. <laughs> we didn't get too far, thankfully. Um, hey, I never said this was a professional production. And I think that's its charm. Um, actually, I wish that I had teased the fact that um, I have an update on something, which I will want to talk about, um, something that I talked about last week. It has to do with the friend that I talked about who was interested in talking about sailing at a party, not about climate change. Let's change the subject, she said. And the the challenge for me of being compassionate about the bigger picture of her life and how um, she had lost her husband in the last six months and she was just trying to get through it. And anyway, so I, I saw her recently and I was very surprised and I'll, I'll, I'll complete that story in a little while. But actually, Jim and I have a topic in mind today, or at least I do, and he's agreed to talk about it. I've been thinking about how the reality of climate change forces more stress into our societies because there's going to be, and it already is, but there's going to be scarcity of resource and it's happening around land resources and food and water resources. And it really puts people up against the reality of privilege and lack thereof and forces us to sort of contend with our fears for, for our own survival, whether or not they're as justified as the person next to us who's wanting us to give up something that we feel we need. So I was saying that, uh, well, I don't have to say everything I said last time. We'll do it as, as it comes. But, um, but a thought that I had that might be useful is for us to think about how you deal with stressful situations, conflict, potential violence. Some of what we see right now, a lot of racial violence, which, you know, arguably is no worse than it ever was, but it's just way more visible right now. Um, but it's possible that as tensions rise, it will become more extreme. And then government sort of cracking down on liberties, and there's all kinds of things that um, that we may be facing down the road. So um, so I thought it was a good idea to start wrapping our mind around the idea of what it means to de-escalate um, stressful, conflictual situations. And Jim has some experience around this topic, so... Fill us in. Well, I, I have experience within the realm that I work in, which yeah. is the licensing of facilities where, where kids live. And these are, are mostly kids with behavioral health issues. So it's situations where kids are acting out in aggressive ways or in ways that could potentially harm themselves or somebody else. And the staff are trained to intervene and... Ideally, they intervene in ways that don't escalate a situation, that can calm it down, um, that can prevent them having to put their hands on, actually hold or you know restrain a kid. So you know there's a whole training curriculum that that the staff have to be trained in, and part of part of our job, my job as the state, is to review all those training programs. So I've you know, sat through all these trainings and demonstrations of the different holds and the, mm. the curriculum and all that stuff. Um, so, and, and I get copied on lots of incident reports mm. where it doesn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> so I see, I see what happens when people miss a few key elements. Um, so one of those is that 
I mean, it, it sounds very simple, but in the moment it's hard to recognize is that people are always communicating a need. And when somebody is agitated and they're really mad, they're still just communicating a need. Hmm. And, and oftentimes the best way to de-escalate a situation is to ask them what they need. That's so good. <laughs> is to really just ask them what they need. What, what do you need? What can I help you with? Wow. Versus, you know... Addressing their behavior not, or whatever. You know, stop doing this or stop doing that. Right. That's one of the worst things you can do is to, is to, is to, is to overreact. Um, now, if things are really at a crisis point, then, then it, sometimes it is appropriate to be very short, very directive with somebody who's, who's like kind of crossed over that line. But when you're still in that sort of escalation phase where it's possible to intervene and keep it from getting worse... Um, oftentimes just asking people what they need and really trying to help them figure that out is, is really key. Hmm. Um, oftentimes what we see is that, that, that the staff escalate situations, things that started out kind of low level, they'll escalate because they have this need to be in control. It's like it's, it's 8 o'clock and the rules say that you have to be in your room at 8 o'clock. <laughs> And so you need to be in your room. Yeah. So oftentimes things will start at that point and the staff member can't get off of this role that they have, which is to, they, they see it as keeping order, like keeping the rules. And that's not really what they're there for, but oftentimes right. people feel like that's my job mm -hmm. and they get stuck at that level and that just escalates things. So oftentimes asking people, what do you need? <laughs> I really love that, and I, I I immediately find myself applying it in stressful relationship situations. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I'm hesitating to be specific about who I might have these stressful relationships <laughs> with, but but if there's somebody who's coming at me with a lot of you should blah, whatever blah, you know just upset, mm -hmm. um, that I could respond that way. One way that I tend to respond in that situation, in particular with that person, is like, yeah, you don't get to yell at me. Like, I, I go to a different place. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have to take it on. I think that's something that women often feel like they have to take on every upset that comes at them. Yeah. Um, so there's a part, uh, there's, there seems like in some situations you do have a choice <laughs> as to whether or not you're taking it on. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it looks like in some situations, the person who's in power has the position of power and to respond or not respond to a need will take that choice that I'm talking about. And when it is inappropriate for them to take that choice where they actually do control the purse strings or the, um, the, whatever the resources are that that other person is desperate for. So do you have a sense of the other side of it? I know that's not where you're coming from in these trainings, but, um, well, yeah, you do because I'm, um, because not only is are there things that that those workers need to figure out about the rigidities around eight o'clock bedtime or whatever it is, but they still want to um, create an environment that encourages cooperative. You know, not not just like yeah, yeah. You don't want to you don't want to be squishy and and just let 
kids do whatever they want just, just because they say, oh, I, you know, whatever they're upset about. Yeah. So it is a real skill that takes practice right. where you can hold firm, but at the same time communicate caring. Mm-hmm. So you can let a kid know that this is the rule. Um, I'm sympathetic. I want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. But we also, you know, we, we, we have something, this boundary that we have to live within. So if we back off of the idea of that there's a conflict that's, yeah. being, that's starting with the kid uh-huh. and we're looking to create a cooperative society or, and, mm-hmm. and you can use this in a group home setting or in yeah, any, anywhere. anywhere. But how do, is, do any of those trainings um, address the other side of the coin where, where you're wanting to, to solicit agreement to policy? Like our policy is 8 p.m. bedtime. Like, how do you make that seem like something that someone well, often, would want to want yeah, to do? Oftentimes, what what these trainings will talk about is giving somebody um, a relatively small number of realistic and acceptable choices. Mm-hmm. So mm. maybe maybe the thing that the kid is saying that they want isn't something that you can do. Yeah, but there may be choice. B, C, and D that would be acceptable. You wouldn't be giving away the store, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're showing that you listen, you, that you're hearing what the, what the person is saying, you're understanding, you're mm-hmm. in there engaging with them, and you've got some alternatives that you can live with and that may be able to meet the need and to, to some level what the kid is saying. Hmm. One thing that comes to mind, I feel like I, that we've had a conversation about this, but I can't really place the context. Is something about how when you develop a warm relationship with someone, mm-hmm. they're more likely to want... I mean, it sounds so manipulative when I say it, but I don't really think that applied with from the right heart space, it it is manipulative. But the rest of the phrase is just when you have a warm relationship with someone, they're going to be more eager to please you. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. And so a, a lot of the training also talks about relationship building. Mm. And how how you do that? Yeah. And that that that's like the foundation that you that you create, right? That you can build upon when when you know what hits the fan mm-hmm. and somebody is really agitated. Right. Then you've got a basis to communicate with them that they 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 believe they can trust you. Right. And uh, I think you know from the larger like societal standpoint, like I think of what's going on out in North Dakota and in, in the realm of you know, climate change and the environment. Mm. And it just seems like there's been a complete breakdown in some of the fundamentals that I just mentioned. Oh, such as could elaborate, please. Well, such as like basic communication about like, so what are the rules here? Mm. Like how did, like I've, like I've, I've tried to read some about the process that led to where things are at, this really violent p- yeah. situation. I mean, it's violent. Right. There's, you know, state force being used against citizens. State, f- what did you say? S- force. Oh, I thought you said state forest. No. Like what? Yeah, force. <laughs> force. Force. Yeah. Force. I'll try to speak yeah. more No, you're fine. Clearly. Um, so, like, how did... Like, how did it get to the point 
where this pipeline is like, I don't know, I've heard 85 to 75% built. Right. And this last piece has, you know, we've gotten all the way through this process without taking into consideration how the natives who lived on this land and mm-hmm. are going to be affected by this, how they're going to be impacted. Yeah. Or how did we get to the point where that was ignored? Right. So, so that they felt like the only the only option that they had was to literally put their bodies in front of the project mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. So it just seems like like a complete breakdown. But the, I feel like it's it's the it's business as usual though. I mean, I feel like this happens all over the place and the and the big companies sort of have have a protocol. Um But this is an army corps of engineer project as well. So uh, so I mean, there was there's supposed to be like a whole open mm-hmm. public process for hearings and meetings and mm-hmm. you know, environmental impact statements right. and all that kind of stuff. And this is you know, coming from an administration that, for the most part, I have faith in. Well, there's one. I'm, I'm not. I don't have every detail, but I know that there's one piece of this where the they got around environmental impact stuff by breaking the definition of this project down into lots of tiny projects, and the and there's an exception for tiny projects about the level of uh-huh. of research that has uh-huh. to be done. And so they they kind of did a sleazy thing basically by by at least that's the interpretation that I that I read. Um so there's that. Um and and there's the argument that they did tell them and they did they did have plenty of notice but but then the, the other side of the coin is that the people who are protesting said no, we did not get adequate notice or opportunity to speak up and there was these studies were not done and you know all this kind of stuff so i mean it does look really familiar when you follow these kind of these kind of projects that are going on all around the world really where big big powerful money-making entities kind of push new push regulations out of the way governments are eager to please them governments are eager to be you know have their i don't know they the the government will make money somehow i i don't know about this particular one in terms of that how the money breaks down but i see it in international stuff that there's ways in which governments like they fall for this idea that we're bringing industry to the area but instead they just bring massive destruction and no no new jobs for the locals or whatever so, I mean, it does feel like no big surprise to me <laughs> that that this goes down. But it's really interesting sort of to think about it this way, like that we're that I've kind of come to a cynical place that there's the good guys and the bad guys when we could like step this way, way back to like a communication breakdown. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah, it. Uh, let me say that that like this is what I mean by that. Okay, um, I think of this is my analogy, and I'm going back to like adults working with kids because it's yeah. a perfect 
example of an oppressive model, basically, because um, kids are really dependent on adults, and, and so adults set all the rules. And we can very easily, unthoughtfully, just sort of bulldoze over kids' needs and wants, which should be treated as legitimate and negotiated. There's so much pressures on adults that kids, you know, we can't, we, we don't live in a perfect world, so it's, I don't blame anybody for not giving their kids a chance for every single need and want, mm -hmm. but um, totally understandable. So an example, I used to work in a daycare. I think I may have told you the story. I used to work in a daycare that was very controlling of the kids there. Um, I worked there very for maybe a few months, maybe a half a year at most. I, it wasn't a huge long time. And I came into it thinking I'd never worked in a daycare before and thinking, well, my job is to make sure the kids are safe and to play with them, basically. And things would go down with my coworkers where I was sort of surprised. Like at one point, one of my coworkers who was very senior to me was talking to me while the kids were all playing around us. And later on, I was reprimanded because my back was to the kids while she was talking to me. But she, I felt like I had to give her my attention. Mm -hmm. She was mm -hmm. senior to me. Um, and I didn't know that that was some kind of a policy and she didn't tell me either. Um, so that was a surprise. And then, so there were things like that where, um, where I was learning by reprimand. So there was sort of a, a I was feeling increasing pressure around my performance. And at the same time, the other staff in this place would have the kids assemble, so all sitting on the carpet for some kind of, I don't know, story hour or whatever it was. And they would tell the kids to be quiet. And then they would turn to each other and start gossiping. And the kids would be trying to be quiet and they'd be getting restless and they would start making noise. And then the, the, the gossiping adults would be distracted from their talk and they would turn back to the kids exasperated and tell them to be quiet. They need to sit still. Mm -hmm. They need to learn how to sit still for the big school. And I was watching all this happen. And at the same time watching that when I would arrive for work on the days that I worked, I would come in like midday. Um, kids would run to me, climb up my legs. They were so excited to see me. I loved it, of course. I was, I was freer with them. I actually played with them. Mm -hmm. But I was not as good at keeping them in control. And that was making it feel like my job was in jeopardy. Yeah. And there came a point where there was a child pulling on my sweater, like the, the hem of my sweater, wanting me to do something, pay attention to her in a certain way. And I was starting to work. I was feeling stress around, like, I need to have, like, they, I need to be calmer around me. And, and also she was, like, really pulling on my sweater. Like, this was could damage the article of clothing. And I was not rich. I was not, you know. Yeah. So I, I tried to pull the sweater like free of her grasp. I mean, this is like a tiny little six-year-old. I mean, very tiny, like she was very thin and small. And so I thought I could easily just, just yank it out of her hand. But what happened was she had such a grasp on it when I yanked the sweater. I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I basically tossed her across the room. <laughs> <laughs> like I pulled the sweater and she went with it and she just went flying and she was okay. I was, I comforted her. No one seemed to notice that this had happened, mm. but it was very telling for me about how pressure gets handed down. And I think of people who are put in a position where they're supposed to keep order, but they're not given, they're not allowed to, to negotiate. 
They're not allowed to, to right. change the terms of the agreement. They're not allowed to be compassionate. And I just think of like, that's, that may be a big part of why things escalate because right. the people who are supposed to do things a certain way for the people who are, are sort of removed from the problem, they're, their standing is at stake, their job is at stake, their right. long story, but you get so the idea. So you can understand why things get violent at demonstrations. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's set up that way. Right. The, the, the police officers are told your job is to maintain order and they can't <laughs> cross such and such a line. Right. And then they come dressed oftentimes yeah. for combat. You know, they've got these shields and billy clubs and various things mm-hmm. to defend themselves. And it's just like this recipe for, for violence. And and the people who are demonstrating oftentimes start to objectify the police officers. Right. You know, they just view them as an arm of the oppressor. Yeah. And so they heap all kinds of abuse upon them or objects, you know. It's just, <laughs> it's like there's the, there's no place in that dynamic where somebody could say, well, what do you need? <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, you know, it just is reminding me of something, an email that was forwarded to me that has to do with something that was going on at the at in North Dakota, where a group of women approached the people who were guarding, you know, whatever line they had drawn in the sand, and and wanted to go across the line to do a prayer ceremony by the water. This mm-hmm. is Native women at Standing Rock. I'll read you a little of it. Tonight was the first all-women-led action to the front lines. I am honored to stand with my indigenous sisters and elders. We filled the bridge where Sunday's atrocities took place. At first, we were held back by the men who were afraid to let us go through, but they quickly saw the truth at hand. It was time for the women to lead and them to trust and protect it. Dapple allowed us to walk all the way to the barricade. I was one of the few who was honored to be at the front, in service with the media and in deep prayer. We went to the ground there. We offered the other side our unconditional love as women. Masses of women sat behind this in complete silence with the men standing behind. The power of that silence allowed our ancestors to be fully present with us. We were granted permission by the Army Corps to go down on the other side of the river and have a water ceremony. This was the first time the access had been peacefully granted and even supported by the officers. We all stood in our humanity today. The matriarchy is rising, not without its roadblocks, but we push on like the river. We united as women today. I know I said the other day was the most powerful of my life, but then today happened. Today we believed in our sisters and their power to bring peace to this movement. We believed in our combined vision, and we were unimaginably rewarded. So I thought that was quite beautiful. That was written by... I'm going to say this wrong, Magellan Moon, M-A-G-E-L-I-O-N, Moon, on November 27th. So it's standing, really nice. Yeah. I like the piece in there where she talked about standing in our humanity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, if you want to bring it back to de-escalation, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like getting out of these roles mm-hmm. of, you know, army officer versus protester, mm-hmm. you know, out of control kid versus staff member. Right. <laughs> yeah. And take it to the level of we're we're humans. Right. We're just humans trying to trying to get our needs met and trying to figure this out. Right. And we've been 
put in this role, yeah. these roles. I, I thought it was also very insightful to say that the men didn't want to let them pass because they were afraid. Yeah. I mean, because when, when, you're, when you're faced with a show of force, you don't necessarily think of it as being driven by fear. Yeah. And it, you know, you think of a dog barking at you. It's a, it's, that dog is sounding very aggressive and ferocious, but really it's saying, help, 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 right. help. I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Look, I'm worried. I'm worried. This is not good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I might have to, I might have to bite you. Yeah. If you get any closer, cause I'll be that scared. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we could have that kind of understanding. Right. I mean, it's very hard because, you know, when there's, fangs coming at you <laughs> yeah um right and yeah. yeah when you've got people standing there with shields and yeah. clubs and other kinds of non-lethal but yet very right. very painful and some you know sometimes almost deadly mm-hmm. you know weapons so one thing that i thought was very interesting that you shared with me a while back about um you know, intervening when it comes to kids um, in the programs that you license um, was that at, there are cases where you have to call the police and then the police come in and they have a completely different approach. Well, yeah, sometimes what happens is that some of our programs are so intent on not restraining, physically restraining kids, that they will, they will default to calling the police. If, if a kid gets out of control mm-hmm. and when the police come in, they're in charge. Right. So now they don't have to be trained the way that we require. <laughs> right. They have their own training mm-hmm. and their training is all about gaining control and compliance. So we've had situations where police officers will come in and use tasers. Ugh. You know, if a kid doesn't do what they ask them to do, or if they're in any way being aggressive, they'll pull out a taser. Mm-hmm. or they will handcuff them. They mm-hmm. will just physically pick them up and put them in the squad car. Mm-hmm. So it is it is all about control and compliance when when they arrive. Not always. I mean, we, we have seen some instances where the police officers do a really good job, and oftentimes it's it's a police officer that has come out a few times, like they know the program. Maybe the program has even reached out to the local police force mm. and had some meetings so that when, when police officers are called, they know what they're, what they're getting into. So it's not always the case that the police come in and they have a real heavy hand. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes that, that is what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are told your job is to be in control. When you issue a, an order to somebody, they have to follow it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, that's like that's a crime. You you really, I mean, as a citizen, <sighs> you're supposed to follow a police officer's, you know, order. Unless the order is unlawful. Well, yeah. But the policemen don't really necessarily I, have a good grasp at of the, that. At the at the time, it's really not advisable to start challenging a police officer <laughs> that their order was unlawful. Mm. I mean, that can lead to a bad outcome. Yeah, I guess that's asking the person who's not in the position of power to de-escalate for the sake of the police. Well, and for their own safety as well. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I think I remember there was a specific incident. We don't have to go into the specific incident, but what you were telling me about um, 
I just remember something about how like in your training that there's part of it where they don't, you don't, the holds, like you don't like put a, a kid um, face down on the ground. Yeah, well, in in our state here in Connecticut, we've outlawed a, what they, that's called the prone hold where mm-hmm. someone is put face down mm-hmm. because it increases the chance of asphyxiation. Mm. So those are not allowed in our in our state. Now that doesn't mean the police don't do it. Right. For our licensing, we don't allow it. I think it's really really interesting to know. You know, these are lessons that could be extrapolated on for other places and other situations and even by the police if they were so inclined. So, can you tell me more like more about holds? Well, so the only holds that we approve are either a standing hold where, where the person that you're restraining is standing up mm-hmm. and you and usually at least one other person can immobilize them in a standing position. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that we allow is uh, face up. So someone's on their back mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're not putting any pressure on their chest, their up, their upper torso, mm-hmm. you're holding them by holding their, their arms, their, their limbs down, their arms and legs. Mm-hmm. So those are the only things that we allow. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no chest compression. That's the big no-no. Right. You don't put any, you don't sit on somebody, you don't sit on their back, you don't mm-hmm. sit on their chest. Um, those are all ways that people can die mm-hmm. by, by restricting their breathing. Oh. That's, I mean, you know, you gotta, I mean, from my position of way, way back on the sidelines where I don't even have a view of this, you gotta know that these decisions were made because mistakes were made. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly why we have the requirements that we do Hmm. is, I mean, there was one um, tragic case in the late 90s here in Connecticut where I think he was seven years old, a staff member basically sat on him and he ended up, you know, suffocating him. Um, And that, that led to a lot of changes. There was a whole series of articles through our, the Hartford current here Mm. in Connecticut, the new local newspaper. And um, it started a whole national effort to really, really reduce the use of restraints in all settings, especially Mm. with, with children, but in, in all settings. It was, it was kind of groundbreaking. It, le- it led to le- national legislation hmm. um, so that now every state requires these kinds of trainings. Hmm. When you say all settings, you're saying all um, state inter- like health any, interventions? Any place yeah. where, where someone is receiving care. So it would be in, for daycare centers, schools, um, the kind of places that we license. So just specific adult. to children and children? or No, no, for adults as well. So what about police, though? Police, it's a different game. Why is that different? They're still human beings. Yeah, I know. I mean, police officers can can um, use pain compliance, and we, uh, we don't allow that. I see. And other, when you say pain compliance, that means they use pain to get somebody to... To comply. They hurt someone to get them yes. to comply. Right. Wow. So that's very interesting that that yeah. can be allowed. Right. Huh. I mean, the bottom line is you're way better off trying to figure out ways to not put your hands on somebody. Yeah. To really de-escalate as much right. as you can. Because 
because once you 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 just don't have control of mm-hmm. the outcome it gets i mean restraints are very messy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there's these training programs and everything looks orderly and it looks safe and then in the heat of the moment it looks nothing like that mm-hmm. cuz you know the person that you're trying to hold has now reached a level of escalation where they're they're in like a panic state mm-hmm. and they they're sometimes trying to hurt you they're trying yeah. to hurt themselves they're well, fighting with a lot of force right one other thought i have about de-escalating that that i don't know if this is part of trainings but um that just seems sort of um i don't know common sense um i just think of a car accident that I was one of the first responders to. I just happened to be driving by and, and there was a, it was a highway and out West and it was very, you know, the story, but, um, but obviously the people listening don't. So just very briefly, I was, I was driving along and came across a car that was the whole front end was smashed in and, um, there's like glass all over the road and there, this is in a high on a highway and this car was facing the opposite direction on the median, but, you know, it had spun out. It was on my side of the highway. Um, and, uh, there were four people in that car. Um, and there was down the way a bit, there was a tractor trailer. And as it came to pass, all the four people were fine. The guy, the driver of the tractor trailer was fine. It was obviously everyone was very traumatized. It had just happened. Um, and I was running to them to, you know, make sure everyone was okay. Just as the uh, the tractor trailer driver came shouting at these people like, what were you doing? And they, cause he had interpreted what had happened. So as it came to, I came to understand the driver of this car had been falling asleep at the wheel and there's a suction kind of that vacuum that kind of is created in the wake of a big truck. Um, and their, their car was getting pulled into that wake. And he saw that as they were playing chicken with him. And he was very angry and, um, and it was indigenous people in the car and a white man in the truck. And it became very quickly turned into something about race between them and shouting at each other. And I was sort of on my own with all these people who had just been through a big trauma and they were, that was coming out as anger at each other, trying to manage it. And what I ended up having, feeling like the thing I had to do to keep it from getting worse, um, was to just run over to the guy from the truck and get him to talk to me instead of to them. And that worked. I mean, mm-hmm. I talked, I let him talk it out and, and I was able to listen, listen, listen enough so that he was able to listen to me just to correct some of the information that he had. Like he thought, you know, this was a game of chicken. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's what was going yeah. on there. Yeah. I think this is what happened. And, um, Anyway, so just being listened to can de-escalate. That's right. the common sense right. Right. point that I wanted to make. Well, you know, also in the context of, like, with this election and all of the kind of emotions that got stirred up in people on both sides of, mm-hmm. you know, the candidates. Yeah. Um, thinking about really listening. Yeah. <laughs> Is is challenging, right? Because in some ways we just like want to yell at each other, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, but you know, to actually talk to each other, we are going to have to 
like really listen and understand like what is the need that that person has that they think is going to get met hmm. by their position or their candidate hmm. you know and well, well it's just that's not mince words by donald trump well yeah <laughs> right yeah right and for the for the people who voted for trump to try to listen to the fear that so many of us have right and mm. to take that seriously, not to just discount that and yeah. whatever media, liberal media, mainstream, whatever kind of jargon mm. they use. Mm-hmm. Um, but to understand that that's where that's coming from or to even be just willing to listen to it. Yeah. Even if you don't believe it, at yeah. least have the decency to treat that person as a as a valid human being mm-hmm. and not just some symbol of this other political perspective that you're doing battle with yeah. you know i'm just so sick of like politics as war like it's our side right. and your side and our team and your team it's like we're we're all losing in this yeah. we really are all losing right when we take that kind of attitude yeah there was this thing that i i briefly was on facebook today and saw multiple people f- uh posting not the same article but different articles getting at the same um story which was about a twitter uh, tirade that aimed at um, Donald Trump by a I don't know who, any st- other story except that it was a woman and I, I read it so I did see her name but I don't remember it right now and he was it started by Donald Trump um, saying how sad and 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 bad the 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 this Saturday's SNL Saturday Night Live um, parody of him um, was and the woman who wrote him back was saying like you're embarrassing yourself pick your battles you're about to be the president (laughs) it was the first thing she said and then it just kept going and there were so many other things that she said um that were you know you're it's obvious and some of it was like it was borderline sensitive but then turned back around so sort of saying like you know you, you it's obvious that you're scared that you ran this election for attention and didn't want to be president and now you're you're freaking out and it's so obvious you're a disgrace you should be ashamed of yourself it's like yeah. oh was, so close so close yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and i i get it that people like it for several reasons one of them being that it's somebody voicing their own rage and yeah. their, and sort of cl- kind of being very clear that this kind of stuff that's coming from Donald Trump is inappropriate for where he, what he's the position he's in. And, and there's a lot of like, we have to give him a chance and let's think positive stuff that, that people are like, no, that's impossible. And they needed to be said in strong language. Um, I get that. Um, hmm. I'm kind of disappointed that the, um, it looks like, uh, recounts aren't going to happen as much as they might've been. Um, cause there is, there is, it seems to be that there's reason to wonder if there was any tampering in Pennsylvania in particular. Oh, there was something else I wanted to go back to about North Dakota. Oh yeah, that's right. The, the veterans, have you read about this? I've a little bit, I, I haven't read in detail, but I know of a large number of veterans that are either headed out there or there now. Beginning to arrive. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, this is, you know, if you're listening to this, not in a timely fashion, this will be outdated information. But but I, I had, it was interesting to think about the idea of these military veterans 
in the United States who are going to lend them their bodies to the to the water protectors and to stand between those protesters and um, the forces arrayed against them, even so far as to say that they will be the human shield, that they will take take the hits, you know, whatever that means. It was also very sort of touching to read or watch little videos of some of them talking about how they perceive this as a as their mission and how that that becoming joining the military was an idea in the first place was their they saw themselves as taking on a role of protecting people mm-hmm. and um and uh, and how well what's happening is that the and I'm not even really clear who the force is that's arrayed against them at this point how much of it is um the police in that area and how much of it is is goes beyond the local pol- I know there are several police forces that have contributed mm-hmm. people to the effort but um but anyway they're backing down to a certain extent they're trying to de-escalate now yeah um which is you know it's very it's 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 very heartwarming to see that enough people who know how to stand firm and have training around this can show up for something like this. It's really it's sort of exciting. And on the other hand, if they weren't de-escalating, I would be very worried because these are also people who probably have seen a lot of violence and have trauma around right. it. There's, I know, there's the potential for this to end very, very badly. Yeah. And that's, that's scary. Yeah. Because if, you get enough people who are convinced themselves and others that this is like a stand that we have to make Mm -hmm. and they're willing to go to the extent of like using force. Um, I don't, I don't see the, the, like the army corps of engineers backing down from this. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I mean, I think the best that they could have hoped for was, was some consideration for routing it somewhere else. Um, I don't know that that's possible now, but, you know, to go away from the, the, the water source that they were threatening. Yeah. But this, it's like, they're not going to, they're not going to leave this thing 80% done and just walk away from it. I I don't, I can't see that happening. Well, another front that this battle is being waged on is pressure on the companies that are underwriting the the pipeline. And, you know that that is very real, and there's already been success. I think it was in I think I talked about it before, but I think it's Norway, where they got a major mm. backer to withdraw their support, right. and right. we we could be doing more of that. And there's also you know calls for for those of us who are not there to start making phone calls. Call the and there's I'll probably I'll put a link in the show notes for this. Um, how to what you can do from home, who to call, and what the number is, and and maybe even some script about what to say. Yeah. I should say that the website where you can see those show notes are is hello cc as in hello climate change dot info, and um, you can also get them through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so. Uh, I promised that I would follow up with you about this person. So the story being my friend who a while back I felt discouraged about because I couldn't engage her in a conversation about climate change and then realized I needed to be more compassionate, um, which was a good thing to figure out, that there are going to be some people who are just not in a place where they can give any bandwidth to this. And that doesn't mean they're bad. 
I was sort of resigned to that. And then recently ran into my friend and had a conversation, sort of catching up. And one of the things she told me about was that she went to Ohio and campaigned for Hillary Clinton. Hmm. And that she looked at it beforehand and saw that it needed to happen and saw that she was in a position to do it and that she had someone she could stay with and that she had this, you know, the, the space in her life that she could take the time off. And I was just like, I was, I don't even know what, how to even put it into words. I was dumbstruck by that. Yeah. You know, like, awesome. like, I think, what is the lesson to me? I think that, um, that it's unfair to come to any firm conclusions about anyone <laughs> because yeah. no it's that, i like that yeah yeah so. yeah people are people are too big and too complex to mm. pigeonhole them yeah right right and so people may have surprises for you po- pleasant think. surprise there may be positive things that will surprise us down the road yeah okay, okay there's hope that's that's my conclusion for the day. <laughs> so thank you for ha- for having another conversation with me. Yes. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We got some good ones coming up. Mm-hmm.